Hello, and welcome to Director's Cut, the Ryan Main edition. I'm Zachary Strand out of Boulder, Colorado, and today's guest is Ryan Main out of Kansas City. Hello, Ryan. Hello. It's good to be here. It's nice to have you. Um, for some context for our listeners, uh, Ryan, you wear a multitude of hats, it seems. Composer, director, educator, entrepreneur. Uh, for some background stuff, uh, your Bachelor of Music and Music Composition from University of Missouri, Kansas City's Conservatory for Music and Dance, Master of Music in Music Composition, and a Master of Music in Music Education from the Peabody Institute at Johns Hopkins University. You founded the Youth Chorus of Kansas City, uh, which, for those who don't know, is a nonprofit serving youth in Kansas City metro area and currently serve as the artistic and executive director, in addition uh, to being a guest for various honor choirs and clinics around the country. And if that's not enough, you also serve as the National Association for Music Education's Council on Music Composition. Your pieces uh, that you've composed are being performed at conferences and festivals around the world. And somehow in your free time, it looks like you're also the director of music for Village Presbyterian Church on Antioch. Did I miss anything? <laughs> that was a really fancy way of saying I do too many things and I'm too busy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but, no. but you you are correct. I, I will actually edit that just slightly. I, I'm no longer at Village on Antioch. Uh, I had to... I reached a point in my career where where something had to give a little bit. So I'm, I'm focusing now most of my professional time on the youth course of Kansas City and on my writing. Awesome. And actually, props to you. I know that that I hear a lot of people in our field will constantly say the fear of not doing something and how that the optics or whatever. So way to know your limits and know, hey, this is what I want to do and pursue those goals. Absolutely. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a. Uh, exciting uh, professional journey over the last several years. So I'm uh, I'm just excited to be here and to, to talk about some music. I love it. Well, actually, uh, first, when we come back here after this first little break, I'd actually like to hear a little bit about that journey, if, if that's all right. Absolutely. You down to, to dig in? All right. So we'll be right back, and that's what we'll dive into. So Ryan, uh, I love sharing joys with people. Um, and I just want to know what, what is your why? What's bringing you joy? What, what drives you to do what you do in this field? What keeps you going? Well, I, I can kind of speak to that in both sides of my professional life. So I'll, I'll speak to it first as a uh, director that I, I love the, the process over the course of a year of bringing this disparate group of singers uh, together into this cohesive unit that not just is able to perform at a really high level, uh, but is also uh, this community that they feel like they are uh, a part of, that they are a contributor to. And I, I think what really drives me in that process is seeing each of the little signposts along the way in each student's journey as they they make an extra connection they they start to apply some of the the solfege uh to their actual music learning uh they start to stand a little bit taller in rehearsal or focus a little bit longer you know and in the youth course of kansas city we serve all kinds of kids from all kinds of backgrounds truly the entire range 
across the in the metro area and um i i just i really really love seeing uh each of those those small victories along the way now as a as a composer it's a little different you know composing is is this somewhat opposite endeavor that i am spending time alone with a poem and i'm trying to find the music in that poem and sometimes that's easy and sometimes that's really difficult i think that what drives me in that is trying to find what is truly the music for this poem not what is the best thing that i can write not what is the most catchy uh tune but rather what is uh what is the true film score to this poem and what is what is truly going to capture the character of this set of words and it, that can be really tough that can be really really tough sometimes it, it can take uh weeks to start to even form that vision and that can i think i think every time i it, there's usually some point in the process where i start to wonder did i forget how to write music <laughs> am i going to come up with any good ideas this time and <laughs> In reality, you know, as long as I keep endeavoring through that process, it always works out. And I, I, I just kind of live for that moment where things start to click and the writing stops feeling like work and starts feeling like flow state. And uh, that's that's what really drives me. I love that feeling when it starts just tumbling out where mm -hmm. you get past that dam and it just starts coming out. I also really liked, though, what you said about the directing of those are all milestones that even on bad days, if you keep your eyes open, you can see that upright posture. You can see, and it's so individualized. I mean, it's not relying on the whole group finally sounding good. It's, oh man, like that kid, I see that. And I can even just see right now, like you're picturing some kid that you saw this week or something because I can see the light in your eyes. Yeah, it's, it's true. And, you know, we as directors are trained uh, to look for errors. Uh, we are masters of error detection. And uh, that that can sometimes bleed into, I think, other aspects of our character, if we're not careful about it, of, of who we are at the front of the room. And we have to constantly be looking for uh, those those positives as well. And uh, for me, it's it's a really active effort. That's awesome. I love that. Um, you'd mentioned that you've been on quite a journey earlier. I'm just curious, would you be willing to share a couple of the landmarks that maybe that you've noticed along the way or a geographical region you're in right now? Sure. Yeah. So I was a middle school choir director uh, in outside the Kansas City area. Uh, I began teaching in 2009. And then uh, five years into that, I, I also began teaching at the high school that I was feeding uh, into as a middle school director. Uh, so I did that for an, an additional two years, and that took me to uh, 2016. And during that time, uh, these were these were very low income, very high diversity schools uh, with lots of challenges. But I found a lot of meaning in creating this uh, this really great program uh, at, at both the schools. Uh, the numbers were something like 20 students initially, and that grew to about 250. 
uh, at the middle school by the time I'd left and I, I'd have to go back and look at the high school, but it was, it was growing as well. And at the end of that, my students performed at the Southwest American Choral Directors Association conference in 2016. And Around that same time, I had been writing some music for my students. Uh, I was originally an orchestral and wind ensemble composer, primarily. But as a teacher, I I was actually doing the same. I was uh, directing band, I was directing orchestra, I was directing choir. And I I started to realize that where my real talents uh, lay was in choir. Uh, that That is truly what I am best at. And so I was writing and arranging music for my students, and I had this one piece uh, called DSE Ray. I, I decided to create a website and to put the PDF up on the website and say, this is 50 bucks if you want it, because I had a few people ask. And the next thing I knew, it was starting to make money. It was starting to generate this, this income. And I, I had had other pieces published before through traditional publishers, but... Uh, you know, in this way, uh, with with choir specifically, I, I kind of just stumbled into self-publishing. I decided to pursue that. I, I wanted to write more. Uh, I, I really felt like I had no time for that. And it was something that I really was a really important part of my uh, artistic life. And so I decided to leave teaching and to uh, pursue composing. And I kind of I took a chance. I, I sold my house and I, I took the savings from that and uh, said, if I, uh, you know, this will basically buy me a year. If I don't make a dime, I can I can go for one year uh, and then I'll if it doesn't work out, I'll I'll get back into teaching and I'll be perfectly happy doing that because I, I love teaching. I uh, was really lucky to have some great part time work. Uh, I, I was missing already what I felt like was this great mission uh, in my teaching career. So I founded the Youth Course of Kansas City to try to achieve some of those same same outcomes on a citywide scale. You know, everything has just gone really well. It's It's been more work than ever. Uh, I, I think, you know, work-life balance is still a struggle uh, for me, like I, I know it is for a lot of people. But uh, I love everything that I do, and most of it doesn't feel like work. Um, and we'll we'll just gloss over the parts that do feel like work. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's that's my journey. And as of about two years ago, I now entirely work for you know the youth chorus, the the nonprofit that I started, and for Ryan Main Music uh, as the the owner so yeah that's my that's my professional journey that's where i am now where i'm going i'm not sure yet but i i like this journey what a great story i mean i love the i mean you you got all of it you got the leaps of faith you got hard decisions um and i love that you brought that the the you were missing something and so you created the opportunity of the youth chorus not just oh this isn't working i'm not feeling good um and I love that you also feel the pull of work-life balance. I think sometimes being teachers, hearing other teachers, being in the school, I feel like we get stuck into this is our problem. And we know that other people have work-life balance, but it's hard to imagine. And it's cool to hear you who were a teacher. You're like, no, it's it's still a problem, um, especially when you want to create and build. It, 
it's work-life balance is just always a problem. It's a very human thing. It is. And, and I can honestly say I've, I've really made some, uh, some strides in that area. I, I am very, uh, lucky and blessed to have a beautiful wife, Bethany, who, uh, is really good at tapping me on the shoulder at 6 PM and saying, let's make dinner and sit down and eat. And, you know, that, that has become kind of a good stopping point for me for the day. Uh, I can, I can start to leave the, the unfinished work, uh, for the next day. Cause it's, there's always going to be unfinished work. Yeah. I, uh, I recently heard a kind of a philosopher type, uh, speaking that, that that's kind of the thing that actually makes us the most human more than anything is we're one of the few, if only creatures who know when to say enough that, and it's, and not from a sloth, but like, and the knowledge of, we will return to this tomorrow and now let's go and, and be. Yeah. And I, I, I know from talking to other directors, this is, it's a constant challenge for us, but uh, I can certainly say for myself that when I am being uh, my best self, it's because I'm, I have more of that balance in place. Well, that's lovely. Um, we're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, I want to hear about a piece you'd recommend. And I'm guessing uh, you've got some good ones up your sleeve. So we ask our guests to tell us about a piece that they would recommend to other conductors. Uh, Ryan, I'm curious, what is the piece you recommend? And also tell us a little bit, not just about the piece, um, but also like how would you go about programming it into a concert? Uh, what type of concert would it be for? The type of group you'd recommend it for? Just kind of all those pieces in one go. Absolutely. So uh, the piece that I've, I've selected to uh, talk about here today is one that I think uh, presents some interesting challenges, and it's uh, not necessarily one of my most programmed pieces, but I think it's just a whole lot of fun, and so it's it's worth uh, visiting about. And it's called Go Said the Star, and Go is in quotation marks with an exclamation mark behind it. Go Said the Star. Uh, and it's this, this incredible text by... George Lathrop, uh, who lived from 1851 to 1898. And the text is telling the story of the light that has been sent out by the star. The star says, go to its light. And it says, follow your fathomless flight into the dreams of space, carry the joy of my face. And so right there, you can probably already see there's, there's a lot of potential to talk about inspiration, to talk about the things that inspire us, you know, just, I, I think as a director, I'm always looking for texts that have at least some kind of potential for, uh, a great conversation in the classroom as well, you know, cause it's, we're not only singing, we're also hopefully digging into the texts that we're working on, um, and, uh, you know, exploring that art as well. In any case, uh, the, this piece, uh, something that starts with go, a single word, single syllable, and an exclamation mark, that tells me this, this music has to just absolutely be bursting with energy. It, it has to be just leaping off the page from second one. Uh, 
And so that's what I, I strove to create in Ghost of the Star. And it starts with this opening uh, piano riff that is syncopated. It is accented. It is forte. And it's mixed meter as well. And the mixed meter in, uh, continues throughout the piece uh, as a way to keep the energy high uh, without relying too much on, say, dynamics, uh, without relying too much on things that are going to exhaust uh, the performers. But then uh, it, it also, I think, serves to just kind of leave this kind of uh, unstable element uh, in the air. And that also in my mind, creates some excitement. So where would I program this piece in a, in a concert? You know, I think for me, uh, when I have programmed it before, I've programmed it twice, I believe now, uh, once for an honor choir and once for the youth chorus of Kansas City. And in both cases, it was an opener. I love when I'm programming a concert to just always start with kind of a, a kick in the teeth right from the start. I just, I, I love the idea of, you know, hair being blown back, doors being flung open uh, right right from moment one, and then to kind of bring the energy down and slowly and gradually back up over time. And it's it's not always that way. You know, our, our concerts take take journeys like anything else that we do. But as a, as a go-to, that's probably where I like to start. So um, I think this makes a great opener. It doesn't have to be an opener. It could be a closer as well. It could be somewhere in the middle, depending on what else is around it. Um, but uh, I think that this certainly, it fits the category of the high energy piece. Absolutely. Let's uh, actually listen to that intro right now um, and hear that energy and syncopation to kick us right off. So yes, definitely high energy here right from the bat. Um, and I also love as with this beginning and as you were talking about the discussions it can invigorate with the students. Um, oh my goodness, what a perfect discussion uh, about um, the legacy of our work in a right now environment with our kids to say, hey, would you be okay with people thousands of years from now seeing your work and those are the only people who will ever know? Like, and the energy of this, this star is so excited saying, go send, you know, uh, and, and having kids wrap their minds around that, I think could be an interesting discussion in the social media world. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, just that word fathomless, you know, it, 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 uh, and, and later in the text as well, it, uh, it, into the dreams of space. Uh, oh, here, here it is for ages. It shined and ages it went. You know, what you're you're saying there is is exactly right. It's a great uh, discussion topic that the things that we do ripple throughout time. And, you know, what what are the the legacies that we are leaving? What are what are we doing today that is going to inspire uh, good in someone else? Yeah, no, so I'm, I'm seeing this piece so much potential, definitely that energy of the opener type closer type of feel. Um, so for both performing, great piece, also for in-class in discussion of not just becoming better musicians, which this piece definitely lends itself to through various uh, challenges I want to talk about with you, um, but also just as people 
and good discussions and to grow as a community, kind of like what you were talking about is really coming together um, in, in larger concepts that are bigger than the classroom. Um, but I am curious from you, what, what do you think is a challenge that as you were writing this, you're like, Oh, okay. They're gonna have to look out for that. Um, or that you experience when clinicking or working it. And then how would you recommend like, Hey, try this, this might be a great way to approach that challenge. Absolutely. So I, I think one of the, the big challenges, uh, beginning at bar six, uh, the, the mixed meter relaxes just just a bit. And what we see in the time signature is six, eight, and then in parentheses right next to it, three, four. And what I mean by that is that these are more or less interchangeable um, uh, totals of eighth notes or quarter notes or dotted quarter notes that that it's always going to add up to the same amount of time the piano might be doing something other than the choir is doing at a given time. Uh, and so one of the great challenges here is helping singers keep track of those beat patterns because they are singing in 6-8 beginning at uh, bar 7. And then by bar 10, they're singing in 3-4. And then it's back to 5-8 in the next measure. And then back to 6-8 the measure after that. So let's take a listen to those measures right there. The overall sensation that's being created really is just that the three four is creating this little extra drive to the next measure. If if you imagine just isolating the rhythms for a moment, bum 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 six eight now is three four and bum 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 bum. So if I want to create a little bit of drive to the next measure, I'm going to be singing here at, at bar seven. Go, 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 one, two, three, said the star to its light. And, and so the idea there is, is that just generally the three, four is, is the drive forward. The six, eight is the more constant pulse. And that the real way, I think, once students have gotten these notes and rhythms under their belt, the way to start making this feel cohesive as a group is to then start to feel everything essentially in one if it is a six eight three four bar because this piece really moves along tempo wise it's it's uh again like i said high energy and at this speed feeling things in six eight and three four and trying to remember that as singers is going to be a pretty daunting challenge compared to just feeling those larger beat patterns one two and so on. Um, so I think speaking rhythms can be really helpful. Uh, moving bodies as you are working through the rhythms, speaking the rhythms, learning the rhythms, and then moving bodies in larger beat patterns rather than moving our bodies in six, eight, and three, four. Then we start moving our bodies in one. And that can be, I think, a really helpful way to start to internalize these tricky rhythms. I think it's also a cool opportunity, uh, especially when students are tasked with trying to interpret music from long ago, um, trying to interpret, okay, should we do this in three, four? Should we do this in six, eight? Should I have a more of a lilt or a drive feel in this moment, even though it's in, you know, that feel in one? Yet they have the opportunity of, 
you're still around. <laughs> we can we can make those interpretations do you, in your writing. So like I'm looking at um, right now, measure 12, 13, kind of 14, 15, 16 there. There's some moments that look pretty clear of three, four of there's three quarter notes in a row. Um, there's another one where it's two dotted eighth notes. Okay. So a little more of the lilt. I'm going to call it like kind of lilt versus drive almost. Um, but then there's that other one right there, measure uh, 13, 14, 15, that could kind of go either way. Um, do you write clues? Do you give these ideas to people of like, oh, this is kind of what I was feeling or? Mm. It's a good question. I, I actually think this one is open to interpretation. So the rhythm here is follow your fathomless flight. And you could imagine that that second measure of that phrase being in three, four, and that would be follow your fathomless flight or in six, eight, follow your fathomless flight. So which one creates a more natural text stress? And I, I would argue it's certainly the second one. Uh, I can honestly say as a composer, I wasn't really thinking about it being in six, eight or three, four when I wrote it. I was imagining what's the most natural text stress there. And, and so to me, um, if the word is fathomless, and I, obviously that has the most uh, emphasis on the first syllable, then 6-8, a, a time signature that's going to leave less other emphases throughout the measure, then, then it makes sense for that measure to be 6-8. I love that. And so I'm hoping if you're listening to this that, and you decide to go with this piece, that that's a discussion maybe you can have and have kids try and see, does this feel natural? Does it not feel natural? And then you can even cite like, well, here's what the guy who wrote it said, <laughs> you know, which is, uh, how cool that we have that opportunity. So thank you for that. Um, so, so having them chant through text, is there anything else that you would do as you're processing working on this together? Yeah. So, so to back it up just slightly, uh, and in measure 11, uh, there's a tricky component here. It's a 5-8 measure. And uh, this was originally a 6-8 measure. And I went back and changed it because it just felt a little too comfortable for what's happening here. The star has said, go, 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 said the star to its light. Now, that, if that's a 6-8, star to its light. Bum, ba -dum, bum. Bum, ba -dum, bum. But if it's a 5-8 bar... Star to its light, star to its light. It has that extra drive for it. And I might be rushing that slightly. Um, <laughs> it's okay. It's yeah, all right. choir directors all, all over the nation are judging me at this moment. <laughs> yeah, right. How, which, by the way, how sad that that's our internal monologue, <laughs> right? Like, wouldn't we want to be a community of like, hey, that dude's risking it all. Love it. Go for it. That drives me nuts. So thank you. Thank you for, for getting out there. I love it. A lot of times as a composer, what, what we end up doing is writing in, in layers, essentially, that I'm, I'm going through and I'm creating the first layer of composition. And a lot of times that's just the voice parts and, and a very, very skeletal outline of the, the piano accompaniment. And then I'm going back through again. And, and in one of those, those layeral pass-throughs, I, I just felt like this simply does not have the drive forward that it needs. So, so the question though, is how to approach mixed meter like this with our students. And I think there are a few strategies. My, my preferred method is to simply count the eighth notes or the smallest beat unit 
out loud. So in a, a five eight, it's three eighth notes and two eighth notes. So literally counting one, two, three, one, two, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, three, one, two. Now we're just gonna add the text to that. Star to it, star to it, star to it. You can have students say that in different ways. And then typically what I would add is an extra physical component, such as uh, I, I'm a big fan of having students just gently tap their thigh as they're singing, but I'll use a clap for now just so you can hear it. And so it'd be one, two, three, one, two, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, three, one, two. And then I might add the measure before or the measure after. So in this case, it'd be one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, three. And just that that repetition, I think, is really useful for getting it into our bones. And then we would simply go back through and speak the text. And most of the work's already done at that point. So said the star to its light. That, that felt natural to me. I didn't feel like I was really thinking about getting the rhythm right. It just kind of happened. Love it. And I think that's part of the joy, right? Is then when it becomes natural, then you can truly enjoy the, the performance and enjoy c contemplating the past discussions um, and letting that come through the performance as well to think of the deeper meanings behind the text. There are uh, several other uh, educational opportunities in this piece. Is there any, is there one other one that you'd like to highlight of just like, oh, this is a cool aspect or a challenging one? Yeah. So I think one of the other things to, to mention here, a lot of this is easy to see up front in the piece, but these ideas return throughout. And so we're focusing a lot on the first page here, but, uh, you know, these ideas come back. Uh, so if I'm looking at bar nine, uh, we've been singing forte for two bars, and then there's a subito piano crescendo to forte over a three-beat measure. That is a three-four measure there. I find oftentimes that can be really challenging for our singers. Definitely tricky. So and and intimidating to look at, especially for someone who hasn't learned this skill. A lot of times uh, a choir might react to that initially by dropping the volume so dramatically that they actually stop producing sound. Uh, at least some of the voices in the choir stop producing sound altogether and then re-enter, which, as we know, creates a lot of potential for tuning issues, a lot of uh, potential for glottal attacks. Uh, a lot of potential for essentially loss of line altogether. So one of the first things to do is to make it as gentle a transition as possible. So we would we would isolate this passage. And rather than singing forte to piano, I might change that to mezzo forte to mezzo piano. We're going to drop and we're all just going to say maybe use a hand scale. So we're all going to put a hand up here. Here's what forte is. My hand is near the top of my head. Piano is my hand is near my shoulder and, and between those. And so the singers practice being in control of the level of volume that they're dropping at this moment. And then we start to just increase that over time. Just to clarify, are you saying you have your hand and they do what you do? Or does everyone have their hand up and you have a preset pattern? Great question. I am a big fan of having all of the singers do all of the kinesthetic exercises that I'm doing as well. So as an example, if we are learning something on solfege uh, or, you know, only 
doing an RL exercise with solfege. Uh, the rule in my rehearsals is uh, both hands every time. So and do, re, mi, I'm doing both hands every time my hands are moving up, my hands are moving down. Uh, and when we do that, we can almost immediately then spot the singers who are having the pitch issues because they're the ones who have one floppy noodle arm down by their side, kind of halfway doing the solfege. And so kinesthetics are not just a, a singing improvement strategy. It's also classroom management to a degree. Well, and on top of that, I mean, it's it's using data. It's visual. It's visual data. It's not written down, but it's still clear data, especially if you were to film it. Go, okay, the student demonstrated a lack of knowledge here. So, so if your school is driving data-driven instruction, there's a great opportunity for it. Like You can literally see visually the data through assessment. Absolutely. Back to this particular moment in the music, one of the first things we can do then is once we've introduced kind of our, our scale of where we're going is to then just soften the approach and to then gradually increase that over the course of, say, a two to three minute exercise throughout my rehearsal. Another issue that can happen is that we're singing on an oval here. The word is go. And a lot of times, uh, I think our singers, when they go to change volume dramatically, even on a, a single sustained pitch, they actually change their vowel shape, they change their tongue position, they change their jaw tension. And so one of my favorite strategies here is to just, again, do it in slow motion and then do it faster and do it faster and have them feel what it feels like uh, to be singing at a forte on an oval and a piano on an oval. Have them remember that physical sensation of what sounded good at a piano O and then to take them through that transition faster and faster and faster. And so it's it's a, a variation of doing it wrong to get it right, uh, or in other words, kind of taking it from one extreme to another. I could also see this being a really cool way to also integrate warm-ups or skill builders or whatever you want to use um, into then lesson plan of, uh, this could be one of the first drills you do, but do it on a lip buzz. And do it on a different pitch, you know, so you work on just the dynamic control. Uh, later, maybe you do it on certain different vowels and play with it. But then all of a sudden you get to the piece and you're like, all right, here we go. We're going to just, oh, hey, let's do that thing from before. So kind of a cool opportunity to integrate and help people understand the importance of these warm ups. And, and that way it's, you're not losing time in the rehearsal either. Your warm ups covered what you're going to do. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Well, thank you. This is a beautiful piece, and uh, I, it's so fun to listen to. We're going to listen just to the to the end here to get to kind of close out this segment. Uh, when we come back, I just want to hear about what's keeping you curious lately. Um, so we'll be we'll be right back and enjoy the end of the piece. So to close out here, I just want to know uh, what's been keeping you curious lately. You seem to really use your mind and explore and think, uh, but just in general, what's what's been bringing you joy, delight, anything new you'd recommend for others to check out? 
Um, I, uh, certainly for me, it's a constant source of curiosity, just finding great new texts to work with. Um, that's, that's always fun for me. And, uh, I, I think along those, those same lines, just, uh, trying to continue pushing myself as a composer. Um, but you know, I, I think maybe what you're getting at here is, uh, outside of music, Either or, I mean, I'm now curious to know if there's some poets or some writing that you're really into lately, but yeah, definitely outside of music too. Well, absolutely. Actually, I, I will uh, shout out one that I've, I've been really enjoying lately. Um, I, I have discovered the the poetry of Giovanni Pascoli, and uh, he's a, an Italian poet uh, from around the turn of the century. And I, I, I recently set one of his pieces by request, and I've now just got books and books of Pascoli poetry that I, I'm just really, really digging. So, so that's kind of my, my current, uh, you know, curiosity there. Um, outside of that, I, I think the things that, that keep me curious are kind of the things that are most challenging to me. Uh, the people who I, I find that I'm, I'm always most interested in learning from are the ones who are really good at something that I'm not. Um, so as an example, I am really terrible at accents, uh, and I won't even demonstrate (laughs) for you, but I just, I don't have that ability. Uh, I, I can do one and it's the one that I heard growing up, which is a kind of Arkansas, Arkansas drawl, uh, that my grandparents had, but, uh, I, j- I just don't have it. And my wife, she, she can just, you can say Irish, British, other British, other British. And she, <laughs> she can just like seven of them. Yeah. It's amazing. And so I'm always fascinated by that. I, I find myself, uh, kind of just, like breaking down the word sound so I can even just kind of achieve a a short phrase. Uh, And, and it's, it's kind of, uh, I'll, I'll be honest, it's kind of a useless curiosity, but it, but it's also something that I enjoy. So it's not useless. But yeah, other than that, I I think uh, my favorite thing that I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, I would call a hobby outside of writing is uh, both cooking and drink making. It's, kind of the only thing uh i've found that really gets me into that same flow state that i was describing earlier that that is such a a great and satisfying feeling is there a recipe that you just got to recommend is there is there one lately that you're like oh this was good we we've done a, 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 a a garlic honey salmon here the last few weeks that has really been delighting us so is there one that you've you've been loving uh, th- this is, uh, not going to sound as creative actually, but, uh, we, we tried, uh, we've, we've off and on tried some of those, uh, meal delivery kits where you get the, the parts delivered to you. Uh, but we tried home chef and it's great. It's you know, when, when you are busy people and, uh, it, it can kind of bring that joy of cooking into your life in a way that's sustainable. I love it. I love it. Ryan, thank you so much for your time. We know you're just mad busy. So thank you. We appreciate your insights and um, hope just your future projects are, are great. And so thank you for coming here. Well, thank you so much. This has been an absolute joy. Thank you. That's it for our show. Audio was edited and mixed by Zach Kester with music performed by Angelica Cantati, directed by Philip Brown. I'm Zachary Strand, and this has been Director's Cut.